message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruin. Uh, we are finishing up a series that uh, we've called The Dash. And before we get to that, let me, uh, let me just welcome you here. If this is your first time, we're glad you're here. Do us a favor. In your bulletin, in the bottom right-hand corner, there's a tear-out piece there that is our uh, welcome card. And if you would do us the favor of filling that out, we would, uh, we would appreciate having a record of your visit, being able to pray for you, answer any questions that you mark that you, uh, you need information about our church. You can mark it there, and uh, we'll be happy to get back with you. Here's what you do with those cards. When you leave today, in the back of the room on the table on your way out, there's a wooden box. That's our offering box. We give our tithes and offerings there with great joy. And uh, we ask that, uh, that you, you don't put any money in there unless you just feel led to. I mean, that's fine. I'm not going to tell you you can't. But uh, we don't ask for anything from you other than uh, dropping that card in the box. Make that your offering to us today so that we have a record of your visit and can be able to pray for you uh, and reach out to you at your request. I promise we're not going to wake you up in the middle of your nap this afternoon if you, if you put that card in there. There's announcements in your bulletin, but I'm going to let you, uh, I'm gonna let you read those <clears throat> on your own, and we're going to get to the conclusion of The Dash. The Dash series came from a poem that my mom and my mother-in-law both sent me, and so I figured, you know what, it's been a few years. By the way, uh, <clears throat> last Sunday, it was first Sunday in March, right? Start of our ninth year here at Cornerstone. Yeah, so they say that most churches or most businesses don't make it past a year, right? Have you heard that? Most churches, they say, don't make it past three years, and so we're at the beginning of our ninth year this month, so praise the Lord. <clears throat> I say that to say it's about time that I use something that my mom and my mother-in-law sent me. And so we turned it into a whole series here. If you've heard the poem, The Dash, you'll recognize this. I read it in the first message of the series, and so as we conclude, I'll read it to you again. It's the basis for our premise. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that they spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved them know what that little dash is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left. That can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel. And be less quick to anger and show appreciation more. And love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read, with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? That poem, as it was sent to me, got me thinking about my life, of course, as well it should. That's the intent of it, to get us thinking about how we are going to spend that dash between our birth date and our end date. How are we going to spend the days of our life? For, for us as Christians, we base how we spend our life on the example of how Christ spent his life. We have a model. 
don't we? We have, a, we have an example. We have the perfect human who ever lived as our example on how we're to spend our dash. And it got me thinking, how, how did Jesus spend his dash? We spend a lot of time in churches talking about that first date, the birth date of Jesus Christ, and we, and we have a big holiday around it, right? It's Christmas. And we spend a lot of time, and we will here in just a, in a few short weeks, talking about his death and resurrection, that, that ending day. But what about the dash of Jesus Christ? Uh, this series, I told you early on, was really motivated by my own personal spiritual needs. My own very personal, very practical need to not just hear the pastoral answers in my own head, but to look at Scripture and say, how did Jesus live his everyday life? Not just those big theological holidays, but his every days. I don't know about you, but, but the every days of Jesus would be very helpful, wouldn't they? Because we leave here, we leave the Sunday, and we go back to the Monday and the Wednesday and the Friday night. We go back to the regular every days of our life. And I think there's, there's, there's more to the, the example of Jesus Christ than his birth, his death, and resurrection. There, there's a whole life in between. And so I began to search through primarily the Gospels, looking for the everydays of Jesus Christ. And we've, we've gotten seven messages out of that so far. Let me remind you where we've been. Number one, and we kind of use the outline of Jesus' obedience. In the first week, I said that Jesus was patiently obedient. If you look at his life, you find that he was, he was very, very simply patient as you read through the Gospels. What led me to that is as I was reading through the Gospels, you find that at age 12, Jesus is, is in the temple, and, and, and there's, a, there's a story surrounding that, but then he goes back with his parents, and then we don't hear anything more from him until he's 30 years old. There's a, there's a gap in Scripture from 12 to 30, 18 years. And the question occurred to me, how did Jesus handle that? And if you remember that very first lesson, we just asked the very practical question, how, how did he handle the weight? How did he handle the weight? And my, my goal in the entire series, but to start out, especially in that very first message, was not to give you the pastoral answers of, well, maybe when God shuts this door, he'll open a window. Maybe, maybe it's not a yes, maybe it's not a no, maybe it's a wait. Maybe it's a, a little bit longer. Maybe God's growing you through this, right? And you know all the good pastoral answers because I've given them to you when you come to me for counsel. And I've given them to myself when I'm praying for something and I'm, and I'm waiting on the Lord for something. Like, How long do I have to wait? And, 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 and I feed myself those answers. But in that first lesson, we just came to the conclusion and to the comforting conclusion. As I read through the Gospels, I found that, uh, you know what? Jesus waited. And that was the totality of the great theological message in lesson number one of the Dash series is that, guess what, folks? We don't like to wait. But, but Jesus waited. And there's comfort in that. I don't know about you, but there's comfort in that for me, that Jesus waited. And forget about the whys. Just, just be comforted. Jesus had to wait. He had to wait a while. So lesson number one, we found that Jesus was patiently obedient in his life. In his every days, he was patiently obedient. In our second lesson, we talked about Jesus being not just patiently obedient, but humbly obedient. Think about this for a moment. The humility of Jesus Christ. He was God in the flesh. And he lived humbly here on earth under authority. Not just the authority of the Father, but he lived under every authority that he was supposed to rightly submit to here on this earth as a good human being. 
In every way possible, Jesus was perfect, and that means he had to submit himself in ways that we would probably find impossible, wouldn't we? Some of you are the, are the manager or the boss, right, where you work. Some of you have authority over other people. I mean, just think in your own mind, knowing in the back of your mind that you're the boss, but that you have to let other people be in charge. But now think for a moment that you're God in the flesh, and you're living in a world where other people have authority. And for the sake of righteousness, you, you submit to that authority. Jesus was humbly obedient. Uh, the story I mentioned earlier prompted my, my noticing of this as I read through the Gospels. Jesus, age 12, you remember the story? He uh, gets lost, and his parents go looking for them. They left town, and there is no Jesus. They go back to town, and where do they find him? In the temple. And mom's like, hey, where were you? Good question, right? And his response is kind of interesting. He says, listen, you, you should know what I've been doing. I, I had to be. I had to be about my father's business. I had to be in my father's house. And the passage says something a little bit interesting. It says, I didn't really get that. But that Jesus submitted to them, and then he went back with them. Wow. They didn't understand, but at that point, Jesus at age 12 says, all right, it's almost as if he says, let's time out. Let's put this thing on hold. It's not quite time yet, and we don't hear another thing about his ministry for 18 years. Jesus was not only patiently obedient, he was humbly obedient. He submitted wherever he was required to submit. He was perfect in all of his activities here on earth. Not only that, we talked about in Lesson 3 that he was simply obedient. He was simply obedient. What do I mean by that? By simply obedient, I mean that we live in a very complicated world. And we, uh, even as church leaders, we make Christianity very complicated sometimes, don't we? Jesus lived, listen, the most important life ever, and yet he kept it simple. Jesus, the most important human on this earth, the most important life ever, but he kept his life amazingly simple. To illustrate this, we looked at uh, the surprisingly simple scope of Jesus' ministry. Let me read to you what John MacArthur said on this very topic, just to summarize. MacArthur said this, If you were God and you were going to send Jesus down to earth, and you had a plan to redeem the world, you had a plan to spread the gospel to the corners of the earth, it's unlikely that using the best human wisdom, pulling together the best brains, having the biggest strategy session you could, that the consensus would be that you would go to this tiny, minuscule, infinitesimal little dot on the globe called Israel to one little group of people living in apostasy that you go to that country, live your life in obscurity for 30 years and then for three years only have a ministry there in a sort of, you know, 60 mile circle, never to go outside that country except maybe to foray across the border and back again on a couple of occasions that, that you do absolutely nothing to win over the elite of the nation, the influential people, the people who are the movers and the shakers, the world changers, but rather you spend your time with the poor and the outcast and the downcast and the downtrodden and the rejected, even the social scum, that you would disdain all of the normal channels so that you don't surround yourself with the highest kind of educational credentials, nor do you surround yourself with the kind of people who can get you where you want to go, reach the highest places, but rather you disdain all of that in favor of humble men and women. It just doesn't seem like the way to get the job done, does it? 
but we all know that Jesus is the most influential person who ever lived, and that was the very plan of God from all of eternity. Jesus was, was simple in his life. He, he would say, I, I do only what the Father tells me to do when the Father tells me to do it. That was it. To the people he tells me to say it to, at the time he tells me to say it to, to the degree he tells me to say it to, no more, no less. It was simple. It was amazingly simple. We make it a little complicated, don't we? Not only that, we found that Jesus in week four was completely obedient. Completely obedient. What did I mean by that? Here was the question I asked. It's a pretty simple question. It's a pretty honest question. What in the world was Jesus doing for 30 years? And we get this big gap, but essentially we know that he didn't really start his ministry until age 30. What, what was he doing? Have you ever thought about that? What? For all that time. I mean, why did it take so long? Remember what we said, that if it were according to you and I, if it were based on our plan, if we, if we strategized it out, I mean, it was God. All he had to do was come and die sinless. I mean, he could have came as a babe and be crucified that way. And, you know, uh, there would have been another way. We could have done it over a weekend, right? Hey, Jesus, why don't you go down? Uh, we need you to redeem this people. You're just going to be down there for the weekend, and then we'll bring you back up. It'll be a quick deal over, over soon, right? And we, we talked about uh, why, why did he have to wait so long? And what was he doing that whole time? I submitted to you the answer that um, he couldn't have simply come down for a weekend to die because we needed passages like Hebrews 4.15 to be real. You remember Hebrews 4.15? It says that Jesus can sympathize with us because he was tempted in all ways just like us. If that's to be true, if Hebrews 4.15 is to be true, then we need Jesus to be around for a little while. We needed him to live a significant portion of life so that I can buy into that promise that Jesus gets how hard this life is and that he's faced all things. You can't just do that over a weekend. It's going to take some years. It's going to take a portion of life, a significant season or portion of living in this world to get what we go through. Amen? I'm glad he did it. He was completely obedient. He, he, he was here as long as he needed to be and he did everything he needed to be and he met all the requirements that were needed to be met. And so he is able to sympathize with us. He's, he's able to understand every temptation that we face. And the passage goes on to say, and he does it perfectly. He met every temptation at every, at every age break. Think about it. As an infant, as a toddler, as a, as a little boy, as a big boy, as a young man, as a grown man. He faced all those challenges and he faced them perfectly. He was completely obedient. That was week four. Week five. We talked about how Jesus... I told you, uh, as a bullet point, was practically obedient. That's a little harder to unpack in a short amount of time. So let me, as a way of reminder, just simplify it a little bit. You could put this down. Jesus was, was joyfully obedient. The question, the very honest question that I asked in, in week five was this. Did Jesus ever have any fun around here? What do you think? I mean, was he this somber, stoic guy that kind of floated through humanity and was always serious, was always on task, and never smiled, never had any fun, never cut up? Is that what the Bible would say to us about the personality of Jesus? I don't know. That doesn't sound real human to me. How about you? We talked about different, different ways in Scripture that we can find that, that we think Jesus enjoyed this life. If you look at the humor of the parables... They're not quite the humor of today, right? We talked about that. 
But there's humor, great humor in the parables. We talked about the story of Nathaniel. And Nathaniel basically comes and hears that there's this guy, Jesus, and he's the Messiah. And, and he scratches his head basically and says, what good could come from Nazareth? And Jesus overhears this. And he, what does he say? Does he, does he rebuke the guy for, for, for cutting down his town? No, he doesn't. He basically says, you know what, I kind of like this guy. Finally, there's a guy in Israel that, that can be trusted, to be honest. And he becomes one of those nearest to Jesus. That's interesting. Jesus, he didn't shy away from that. We talked about parables, Nathaniel. We talked about how when you read the, when you read the Gospels, you find children being drawn to Jesus. Now, he wasn't selling ice cream, giving away lollipops. There had to be something about the, the personality of Jesus Christ that would draw children. He couldn't have been a dull guy. He, he must have had a smile on his face. He must have enjoyed life. The points we came away with in week five were this. Christians aren't called to be sourpusses. Pretty deep, right? But how many of us think that Christianity, or we sell a Christianity to the world out there, that is this stoic, somber, always serious, just dull Christianity? No, Christians aren't called to be dull and sour. How, how sad is that of a testimony? Christians aren't called to be boring. We shouldn't be the most boring person in the room, any room. Last point I made was that we should raise little Christians to not be boring or sour big Christians as well. It's part of our responsibility as parents. Jesus was, was joyfully obedient. If you just look at his life, he, he enjoyed this life. You know, the father wants joy for his children. The father wants joy for his children. It, it's, it's part of the commands of the father in Scripture. And, and if you think about it, Jesus, if he were going to be perfect in his living, had to live perfectly joyful. It's an interesting thought. Last week, we talked about Jesus being passionately obedient. Passionately obedient. Not only was he, uh, only was he a, a joyful person, but you got to know that Jesus was a was a passionate person in his living, in his dash. We find evidence in Scripture that he was he was passionate in several different directions. And the two that I gave you last week that we find him getting mad, and we find him very sad. And just like all these other lessons, the intent of that is to say that's an everyday Jesus and I find comfort in the fact that, you know what, there are some things in this life that we are to be passionately upset about and mad about. And Jesus kept perfectly righteous in all of his anger, got angry. And we find on more than one occasion he's flipping tables. And on the opposite end of that spectrum we find that on more than one occasion Scripture tells us that he was moved with compassion. And at the tears of others weeping, Jesus would find tears. Jesus was a passionate, a passionate human. He didn't, he didn't float through this life separated or emotionless. I don't know what kind of picture you have of the life of Jesus, but Scripture would indicate to us that in his everyday living out this life, he lived it not just joyously, he lived it passionately. There were times when he found it's time to get mad. 
There were many, many times where he found, you know what, it's right to be sad. And those are good and they're right for us. Today, I'll conclude with uh, maybe what sounds like the most theological of, of the bullet points as of yet. Jesus was prayerfully obedient. He was prayerfully obedient. Um, again, I don't want to take a high theological angle, but the basic everyday living my Christianity out angle. The most basic thing we could say is that Jesus prayed, right? I mean, that could be really the summary and, and the, whole, the whole kit and caboodle of my message today. If we really want to keep it practical, if we really want to just talk about, about what we can learn from the dash of Jesus Christ, I could leave it at that, 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 hey guys, not only did Jesus wait as we started this series, but guess what? He, he prayed. And if Jesus prayed, then... We need to pray. I mean, it doesn't get any, any, any more simple than that, but I am going to take it a, a step further. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to take a short and, and very uncomplicated look at the Lord's Prayer. And you know it by heart, so I'm not even going to ask you to turn. I'm not even going to put it on the screen. The Lord's Prayer was... The model prayer, it was the prayer he gave those who were following him. But I think it wasn't just the model prayer. It wasn't just a prayer of suggestion. I believe that Jesus probably suggested it as a prayer because it was, it was a part of his praying. Obviously, volumes have been written on prayer and even on the Lord's Prayer. But remember, our real goal here is to just keep it simple and to look for the everyday Jesus. So... The only thing I want you to see in this prayer today is that it exposes the things that Jesus concerned himself with. Let me say that again. The Lord's Prayer exposes, I think, the things that Jesus concerned himself with in his everyday living. And he used those things to suggest the model prayer. Listen then, listen then to what was on the heart and the mind of Jesus, the everyday Jesus, He would say in the beginning, our Father. The Father was the concern of the Son. The Father was the concern of the Son. Who art in heaven. Heaven was a concern of Jesus. Hallowed be thy name. The glory of the Father was a concern of Jesus. Thy kingdom come. The kingdom was a was a concern of Jesus. Thy will be done. The will of the Father was on the heart and the mind of the Son. On earth as it is in heaven. That the will of the Father would be carried out from heaven down was a concern of the Son. Give us this day our daily bread. His everyday needs were His concern. And forgive us our trespasses. Jesus didn't have sin himself, but sin was on his mind. As we forgive those that trespass against us. Forgiveness was a concern of the everyday Jesus. Not just forgiveness of the Father, but our forgiveness towards one another was a concern of Jesus. Lead us not into temptation. The threat of sin in everyday living was a concern of Jesus. 
but deliver us from evil. Evil was a concern for the everyday Jesus. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. Amen. He ends essentially where he begins with the Father and the glory of the Father. What was on what was on the heart and the mind of the man who walked this earth for some 33 years? These these things were on the heart and the mind of Jesus. As he was living out his dash, these are the things not only did he I believe suggest that we pray through, but these are the things that I I truly believe he was praying about. And not just praying about, but he was living out. So think about them in terms of how you live your dash. I mean, what are the things in your life, in your heart, in your mind, that you find yourself consumed or concerned about? Are, are, are they these things? Are they anywhere near these things? Maybe if we treated this like a list... We could check off a couple of these things. I imagine we would check off things near to the middle of that list that our needs would be met. Give us this day our daily bread. That's not typically something we we neglect to pray about. Our needs, our wants. Maybe forgiveness. Our guilt reminds us of that need, that request. But what if, if we're seeking to use Jesus as our example, and these are the things that were on the heart and the mind of God in the flesh, what if our prayers and our life began to fall in line with those things that were on the heart and the mind of Jesus himself? The Father, heaven, the glory of the Father, the kingdom, the will of the Father, that his will be done everywhere, his and our everyday needs being met. Sin. Forgiveness. Forgiveness of the Father and forgiveness between one another. The threat of sin. Evil. And once again, the glory of God. I, I think... I think these things are for us a roadmap to what our hearts should be consumed and concerned with as we live out this dash. What about the dash of Jesus teaches me how I should live out my dash? I think, I think the prayer life of Jesus himself exposes what was on his heart, what was on his mind. And these are they. Father. Kingdom. The glory. Sin in this world. That His will is done. Forgiveness. Are these, are these, are these the things that we are spending our dash on? This is just the model. You could go to other prayers of Jesus, I think, and find that He was prayerfully obedient. If you want to follow this same the same pattern, you can go to John chapter 17 and look at the, the priestly prayer of Jesus Christ as He prays and He pours His heart out to the Father about life, about 
salvation, about his disciples, about those who would come after his disciples. And just think about the things that are on the heart of Jesus as he's living out his everyday dash. And ask yourself, are those the things that are on my heart and mind? Jesus was always obedient. And if you read Scripture, you find that he was patiently obedient, humbly obedient. He was simply obedient, completely obedient. Joyfully, passionately, and very prayerfully obedient. Why don't you pray with me? Dear Father, um, it's with a depth of gratitude that um, I'm sure I don't yet completely understand that we need to thank you that Jesus was here. He was here for as long as he was. And that we have not only the story of uh, Christmas and the story of the cross and Easter, and, but Lord, we have, we have moments of the real human everyday Jesus that help us as we, as we fight through what are sometimes very hard Mondays and Tuesdays and every days of our own life. And Lord, I'm encouraged by what I see. My prayer is that the body of Cornerstone would be encouraged by what they see in the human that is your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, He is our, our example for perfect humanity. And I pray that we would find obedience in our life in each of these ways. I'm going to give you a moment here as we talk about Jesus being prayerfully obedient to just continue in prayer. Before we close, there's, there's probably a hundred different ways that God could challenge you in your prayer life. He could challenge you the very simple fact that Jesus prayed and, and probably so should we He could encourage you to have the heart and the mind of Jesus by what we see in Jesus' prayers. But it may be something else. And so for the next next couple moments, why don't you stay in a why don't you stay in the moment of prayer? And this um, I'm not I'm not too I'm not too ignorant to know that this might be the first moment of uh, prayer you found in the last few days. The first moment of, of quietness and silence that you've given for the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. And so, let's take it. Let's, let's take advantage of it. If Jesus needed time for prayer, then so do we. And so let's, let's start right here. And maybe where He has to challenge you is the place where He has to challenge me. It's, it's that I set aside more appointed times for prayer. So for the next few moments, Holy Spirit, would you would you speak to the individuals in this room? You've got a sermon that is far better than any I could ever contrive. And so Lord and Spirit speak.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.